The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, good morning. I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here um, at Westway. What I love about what we just saw was, uh, like, John's a leader. John's a, a church elder, um, but he's not a paid he's not a paid pastor here at Westway Christian Church, and and is exciting and. And as amazing as, as what we just witnessed was, one of the things I love about that is how, um, is how people who are in relationship are baptizing other people. Does that make sense? It is, it is not just the role of, of paid pastors at Westway Christian Church to do things like that. It's, it's the role of all of us as Christians. If I'm a believer and I'm involved and engaged in someone's discipleship and in bringing them to Jesus... If that's you, if you are involved and engaged in the discipleship and bringing someone to Jesus, you're allowed to baptize someone. We don't have a rule that only pastors can baptize or only elders can baptize. We, we want to see people enter into that relationship with Jesus by entering into it with the relationship of the people that they have. So this is, this is something that, that's, really, um, that's really encouraging uh, we're going to actually talk about this next week at our annual meeting, but we have, like, we have some goals for some things that we want to see happen here at Westway Christian Church, and one of those is we want to see, we want to see people come to Jesus. We want to see people be baptized, and one of the things as a part of that that I wanted to do for this year was um, this, this Christmas, I got everyone in our family uh, a little bracelet and it has coordinates on it. it has a latitude. Um, I don't know which one is horizontal or which one's vertical. Um, so you can, you'll know what I'm talking about. One of those is horizontal, and one of those is is vertical, right? If you look at a map, you can you can pinpoint a location. Well, the location that is on my bracelet and on the one that we got for everyone in our family is a place where we were baptized. And one of the things that we did was was we ordered a number of these bracelets. With, um, with Westway's coordinates on it. Not because there's anything special like about that particular baptistry, but because we want it to be something that, that people can look at and they can remember when their life was changed. So this baptism actually happened so fast that I haven't received the bracelets yet. Um, so they're going to come, uh, I think, sometime this week. Um, and that's something that, that we want to do is help people, help people remember uh, the decisions that they make so they can be encouraged what the Lord has done um, in their lives. If you have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to open it to Psalm 19. If you have any, if you have any questions about our message time today, you can send a text to the number that's on the screen. It's also in your bulletin. And then on Tuesdays, 11.15, if you've been around, you've heard this spiel a million times, you could probably say it for me. But at 11.15, we go onto our church Facebook page, and we have conversation and, and response to those questions. Um, you don't have to watch it live. You don't even have to watch it on Facebook, because at some point a little later in the day on Tuesday, we post that on our church website, which is westwaychurch.com, which you'll also find all of our sermons. I, I had a conversation with someone over the past couple weeks at, they had no idea that we posted our sermon content, our audio content online. So you can find all of that just westwaychurch.com. There's a media page, and that's, that's, all on, that's all on there. 
If, you are, uh, if you're here for the first time with us, I'm really, really glad you joined us. At Westway, we take the first part of every year, and we talk about like, like what matters to our church body. What are the things that are going to orient us properly for the coming, for the coming year? And it's not just about like, what's going to orient me or what's going to orient you as an individual, but what's going to orient us as, as the body. I'm a book lover, and I've been a book lover for a really long time. Um, for me, that started off with Hardy Boys books. Does anybody remember um, Hardy Boys? Um, I never really got into Nancy Drew. It's not really a sexist thing. I just like the Hardy Boys. Um, so the Hardy Boys was kind of my like first introduction into reading. And then somehow, and I don't know how this happened, um, I got this book called The Bermuda Triangle, which was about the Bermuda Triangle. Um, and it was like kind of like a nonfiction book, and it, and it talked about the history of, of different airplanes and ships and stuff like that that disappeared um, in, the, in the Bermuda Triangle over history. Um, I remember one of the... And my, my MO, my room in our house, um, our garage had been converted into a bedroom. So the house that we lived in in Peachtree City when I was growing up, that was my room was downstairs. It was away from everyone else. So when I would wake up at like 2 o'clock in the morning, I would read, right? And sometimes I would read Hardy Boys books. And then I got this book on the Bermuda Triangle. And I was, as a, as a 9, 10-year-old um, kid, I was... I was not only fascinated, but I was a little scared of the whole Bermuda Triangle thing. I mean, it's kind of a weird story, right? One of the ones I remember, this was probably like a 3 a.m. read, and I'm reading this book, and, and this, it's about this one particular plane that, that disappeared over the Bermuda Triangle, and like the guy who was in the plane was radioing back, and he was saying, I'm over the coordinates of where this island is supposed to be, but there's no island, there's only water, and then like that plane disappears, right? Well, a little bit later, as they started investigating this, there were people on the island on that day who talked about a plane they saw circling the island. Like, how weird is that? And I remember as like a 10-year-old um, kid reading that at 3 o'clock in the morning, and that was the scariest thing I ever read in my entire life, right? So I closed the book and put it away, and um, I think I read The Hardy Boys, went back to that for a little while. Um, I love The Chronicles of Narnia. I've talked about that quite a bit. Um, got into uh, Tom Clancy novels. My parents, um, my dad in particular, was a Tom Clancy fan, so I really got into that. And then I got into Stephen King uh, books, so horror, mo- horror books. Um, and then I had another one of those 2.30 a.m. Um, reads that you just shouldn't do. Like, there are just some things you shouldn't do at 2.30, and one of them is read Stephen King's It at 2.30 in the morning, right? Like, there's this one scene in the book I remember. I'm reading along, and there's a scene that takes place where the character's in a library, and they fall asleep, and then they wake up in, in the story, and, and they look across the floor, and they see like these um, footprints of these giant shoes that are, that are clown, like clown shoes, because that was the bad person in the, in the story, and it had been raining outside, and you see like these watery footprints walking into the library, and then Attached to the typewriter was like a, one helium balloon, but there were no footprints going out of the library. And I remember reading this again at like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, why am I doing this? This is horrifying. 
Then I started getting into um, different books. Uh, 1984, as a, for instance, Fahrenheit 451. I'm kind of like a dystopian, uh, futuristic person that, that all fascinates me. Um, there's a book by a guy named Alexander Solzhenitsyn called The Gulag Archipelago um, about a guy who spent time in the Soviet gulags um, during the time of the Soviet Union. It was really fascinating. Um, and Francis Schaeffer, and I talked a lot about Francis Schaeffer, um, philosophical stuff last year. Kind of think about all of those books, and there are a lot of books that we can read and we can learn from. And sometimes those books can even, um, can even change our lives at some level. One of those books... Um, and it just slipped my mind. Um, dang it. It's a, book about, um, it's a book about running. It's a book about a guy who discovers um, barefoot running, um, for instance. And what happened was he, he was a runner, and he couldn't figure out like, why he was always being injured. Um, so he went out and he heard of this tribe, the Tamahumara Indians. So I can remember that, but I can't remember the name of the book. The Indians are the Tamahumara Indians in, in northern Mexico. And one of the things that's really interesting about them is, is they run barefoot. Like hundreds of miles barefoot, and they don't have any injuries. So that book um, was kind of helped me think about the way, the way I run. So books can help us. But here's the thing, none of, those, none of those books that I just described, none of those books really have um, an ultimate level of authority over us. They don't have an ultimate authority. So I've also had a number of Bibles over, over my life. This, this particular Bible is a Bible I got on January 13th of 1985 when I was confirmed at um, First Presbyterian Church in Peachtree City, Georgia. So I got this Bible. Um, I've got other Bibles that I've picked up over the years. Um, I've got like a little New Testament uh, that we picked up at a, at a county fair um, that I really like. Um, I've got this, this Bible. It's called the Orthodox Study Bible. And uh, this Bible, this, this particular text, it's a New King James Version. It's used by um, Eastern Orthodox or Orthodox Church of America. Um, there's lots of, it's, a, it's the New Testament, and then there's lots of other readings in it. Um, several years ago, back when I was in, when I was in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, um, I was poking around one day in our church, and I found this NIV study Bible. So I... I don't think you can steal something if you work there, um, especially if you're a pastor. Um, so I, I borrowed, um, so this book is on loan, and uh, this is an NIV uh, study Bible. Um, this is not original artwork. Well, it is original to me, but it did not roll out of the uh, NIV Bible place um, with little dull banana stickers all over it and stuff like that, um, or falling apart. This, um, this was the first Bible that I ever read the entire thing through. And I, and I know that because if you flip over the table of contents, um, I, I dated when I started reading the book and when I finished it. Um, this, has, this Bible has so, many, has so many notes and highlights in it, um, and you can see it's falling apart. Um, I've given up. Um, trying to cover it at this point. Um, 
because it's just not going to stay together. And this, this particular Bible, for me, even though it's not the NLT, which is what I use on Sunday mornings, uh, this particular Bible has been a, a tremendous uh, friend to me over the years. When we deal with ultimate things, ultimate questions, we have to have an ultimate authority. We need something that is, that is outside of ourselves to guide us. Adam and Eve faced this in Genesis chapter 3. They had been given this standard at the beginning of the book of Genesis, and the standard was this. You can eat of any fruit of the tree, of any tree in the garden, except for the fruit from this tree. And if you eat from this one, then what's going to happen is, is you're going to die. Like that's the, this is, this is the only rule which should tell us something because we like to think, well, if we only had one rule, surely we could follow that, right? So there's one rule, don't eat from this tree. And then the serpent comes along and the serpent tempts them, um, you won't die if you eat that. So what, what were Adam and Eve supposed to do in that moment? How would they decide should they, should they rely upon their own intellect? Should they rely upon their own moral compass? Should they follow their heart and do what they think is right? Should they do what they think is best for them? Well, see, here's the problem. They've been given an authoritative word. They've been given a very specific instruction, one that very clearly told them the truth about who they were and told them the truth about God. And for us, like we've, we've been given that same authoritative word. We've been, we've been given something that is, that is separate from us, from our own intellect, that's separate from our, our feelings or thoughts about a specific thing. And, and God is painstakingly revealing the truth about himself, and he's revealing the truth about us. And in the middle of that, we find this, we find this dilemma of, of our own disobedience. Like we have God's standard, we do what we want, and then we have to wrestle with, like, what do we do with that disobedience and what's the, um, what's the answer to that? And one of the things as I pondered this creation story over time is the fall wasn't about an apple. Like, that's what we make it about. Well, they shouldn't have eaten that fruit. They shouldn't have eaten that apple. The fall's about a rejection of God's word. God's authoritative word, God's instructive word, God's true word. Uh, last year, one of, our, one of our goals as a church body was that we might have a culture of biblical interaction that leads to transformation. And one of my favorite things um, about that was, was over the course of the last year, to hear people who, who are new to Westway Christian Church like, like experiencing that talking about the way, we, um, the way we talk about God's Word. They appreciate the way we, um, we're careful with the text. Um, they appreciate the, ba- the way that we proclaim this Word. And, and for this year, for 2019, we're going to expand upon that original foundation just a little bit um, to this. This is kind of my statement we want to maintain and build upon the foundation of interaction engagement. 
And I added the word authority and transformation. So we don't just want to We don't want to just have a culture of biblical interaction that leads to transformation, as important as that is. We want the Bible to have an authority over us. We want what the Bible says to matter. We want to hear God's instruction, don't do this. And then when we come into a moment of temptation, we remember that God's God's like external word that otherness of God's word has authority over us. In 2 Timothy 3, we're going to get to Psalm 19 in a second. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul's warning against false teacher. And, and what he says is one of the markers of a false teacher is, is someone who is able to work their way into the homes of people. Paul talk, is talking specifically about women because that was, that was an issue in that particular um, church. But these teachers, they would gain the confidence of people who are always following new teaching. This is a warning for us. False teachers will worm their way in to, to lead people who are always looking for new teaching, but they never understand the truth. It's a truth that ought to lead to transformation. So, so what I would say is, as we interact and engage with Scripture, like, is it leading to anything? Or, or are we just gaining knowledge? Are we just gaining information? And the marker for us, as we look at 2019, uh, and not just for us as individuals, but, but us as a body, the marker is, does God's Word have authority over us? Not just whether or not I read it, but does it have authority over us? And without, without the Bible's authority over us, the Bible becomes a lot like a lot of other books. The Bible becomes a, a good morality tale like Aesop's fables or, or a mother's, mother goose story. These other texts that we might read, they might make us feel like good people. But, but if our hearts as people, and this is one of the things that God's Word tells us, that if our hearts are deceptive, then, then we can be tricked into thinking that our morality, our goodness in comparison to someone else, we can be tricked into thinking that that's what Christianity is. It's a, it's a veneer of spirituality that looks really, really good on the outside, but it, but it does nothing to conquer the evil desires that dwell within us. We just look like good people, good moral people, so this morning, we're going to look at three different parts from Psalm 19. We're going to look at uh, interaction and engagement. That's one. We're going to look at authority, and then we're going to look at transformation. So let's read Psalm 19, verses 1 uh, to 6 together this morning. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. 
The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. There's so much amazing imagery in this psalm. It's rich in telling us how God operates through creation. As I was pondering about this, I I thought, you know, man can make some really amazing things, can't we? As human beings, we have the capacity to, to create and to build and to assemble and to sculpt and to paint. And that's really pretty awesome. But there's something, as I pondered, like we all start with something, don't we? We all start with matter. We start with something that has been created. We sang this earlier, and this is why we sang that song, So Will I, earlier. God of creation there at the start. Just listen. God of creation there at the start, before the beginning of time, with no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. So I was thinking about that idea. Like, what would it, what would it be like for me to make something with no point of reference? When I was a child, in addition to reading books at 3 o'clock in the morning that I shouldn't have been reading, I also made models. So the first thing I thought of, like, without a, without a point of reference, like, what would it be like for me to open, open up a box, like I went to the store, uh, bought, bought a model that I was going to assemble, and I get home, and I open, and I unwrap it, and I open it up, and, and there's nothing but plastic parts. Um, there's, no, there's no assembly instructions. Is that what it means? Is that what no point of reference means? No. Because, because then at least now, like I could, if I was building a plane, I could go online, right? And I could see what a plane looked like. And, and I'll bet, I'll bet that I'm, I'm creative enough to where I could at least make it look like the picture, but there's no point of reference. So not only do I not have all of the molded plastic pieces in the box, but I don't have a box. Okay? I don't have, I don't have the idea of what this particular airplane looks like. I have no point of reference. I'm, I, I have nothing to go off of. And this is how God, this is how God created there was no point of reference. Last year, Ann and I were down in Albuquerque for a few days, and we went to um, we went to a, a Indian petroglyph area, and it was really kind of it was really awesome. And like this this artwork um, is old, really old, it goes back to you know thousands of years old when it's been when it's been hammered into the rock and that's how they did it was they used a hammer and it was and it was interesting as as we were as we were walking around there um, another group of people came up and they were and they were reading like they were reading the the placard that was that was describing how this was built and one of the people said to the other I saw I thought this was so funny one of the people said to the other well they just did this with a hammer this was the thought. How hard would it be to get a rock and tie it to the top of a stick and hammer this out? Now for us, 
That question makes a lot of sense, right? How hard could it be? Get a stick, tie a rock to the top of it, and you have a hammer. I'm going to blow your mind. Somebody invented a hammer. The only reason we think that, the only reason that person thought that was because that person had a frame of reference for what a hammer was. God didn't have a point of reference. He just said it. And it was so amazing. John and I were having a conversation, our son, a few years ago. Like, God's created things that none of us will ever see. Like, the universe is so vast. There are so many things that God has created that none of us will ever, ever, ever see those things. Can't tell I love talking about creation. Because God speaks through creation. A couple weeks ago, I called it a song. God is singing to us through creation. The sun has a special place. It rises and it sets, and we spin on our own axis And it takes us exactly 365 days, 5 hours, 48 minutes, and 46 seconds to go around the sun. And God has orchestrated that. God has designed it to function that way. Go outside and feel the heat even on a cold day. One of my favorite things to do, especially um, in the wintertime when I know it, when it's sunny, even if it's cold and I get into my car that's been in the sun all day, Isn't your car just a little warmer than the outside air? Like I love the way God has done that. And for us, God's authoritative word, his his revelation. Dave, a few days ago, Robinson, when we were talking about today's message, he said, um, this, this idea is called general revelation. So when we read Romans 1 or we read Psalm 19 or many other psalms that talk about God's creation, this is general revelation. So I can walk outside and I can look and I can, like somebody made that. Somebody, somebody made that. That's general revelation and we're meant to interact with it. We're meant to engage with it. I came across this line from Um, from John Calvin. There's not one blade of grass, there is no color in this world that is not intended to make us rejoice. When you see the monument, you rejoice. Praise God for what he's done, for how he's revealed himself. But it's not just creation, it's the written word that God uses to speak. And oftentimes we might, we might ask the question, like, how, how do you read your Bible? Tell me about the way you read and you interact with your Bible. And, he, and here's the answer that, that we're not necessarily looking for when that question gets asked. We're not looking for, well, this is the reading plan I use, and this is the study that I use, although that can be helpful. We're talking about the way you interact with Engage It. In the same way, when we go outside and we see creation, what God has done to reveal himself, because that's why he did it. Do you, do you wonder at the Bible? Are you ever amazed at what's happening 
in Scripture? Do you wonder about it? Does, when you're reading through it, do you just read it all in the same tone of voice? Like this monotonous Bible voice that I have no idea where we got, um, where that came from? Do you ever change your tone when you read Scripture? What characters do you identify with when you read the Bible? Are you always David and never Goliath? Are you always David and never the Philistines? Have you ever stopped and asked the question, I wonder why the person said that? I wonder why the person did that? How does... How does Jesus fix all this? What is this telling me about God's heart? What is it telling me about man? Are you in a Bible study? Are you connected to a small group? How do you know that your interpretations of what you're reading are correct? Ever pondered that? Like when I when I have an idea about how something should should be theologically, when I when I think about like my stance on uh, on baptism or my stance on repentance or my stance on who should be a member of the church, you ever stop to ask the question, "How do I know I'm right? What's my what's my authority?" And I don't know a single person who likes authority. I'll just be honest. I don't know a single person who likes authority, myself included. And especially as, not only as good Americans, like we all hate authority as Americans. And then put us out here in the West, and we really hate authority. That's why we're out here in the middle of nowhere, because we don't want anyone telling us what to do. Right? Our, our lack, our, our, our dislike of authority... So I, it's why I've justified what I call the tithe rule when I drive. And here's the tithe rule. Some of you know what this is. If the speed limit's 65, I'm going to give 10% back and I'm going to go 72. And no one, and they're not going to pull me over, right? Because they're not going to pull anybody over for, for going 72 miles an hour. But here's the thing. Each of us, we act like we are, we are autonomous creatures. And as we've tricked ourselves into thinking that as long as we don't do the really bad things, then we're okay. But it's, but it's not God's design for us is, is to avoid the really bad things. God's intent and God's design for us is to be obedient to him. And when, we, and when we violate, like when we interact with and we engage with these, with these laws and with these instructions that God has given us and Jesus has called us to follow and the Holy Spirit is, is convicting us of when we, when we disobey those things. And it's all of us. It's not just them. It's not just the really bad people. It's all of us. It's our own sin. And when we are in violation of what God calls us to do, then we just see tremendous amount of pain and suffering. And not just all around the world, but in our own, but in our own lives, we see these things. We think that in our autonomy, that my individualized sin doesn't affect anyone else. And that's just not, it's just not true. It's not what the Bible says. Because if that were true, if that were true, 
then why when, when Adam and Eve sinned, why, like, why is there still sin in the world? Why wasn't that limited to their own sin? Each one of us affects one another's when we sin. Let's continue in Psalm 19. We're going to see what David has to say about God's law. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. Even more joyous than a bunch of elderly people in a conga line on the beach. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They're more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They're sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They're a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. Listen to the words that God is using to, um, that David is using to describe the law. Perfect and trustworthy and right, clear, pure, true, more valuable than gold, than gold and honey, even honey in the comb. It's a warning and a reward. And I have never, ever, ever, ever in my entire life heard anyone talk about the laws of our nation in that way. Never. What I hear are the laws of our nation are unfair and they're flawed and they're confusing. So if I'm driving down a two-lane highway in Nebraska and there's a shoulder, I can go 65. But if there's no shoulder, I can go 60. Right? It's, just, it's confusing and it's arbitrary and that's what's going on with our laws. Perfect instructions revive our souls and they bring us back to life. And that's because God's authority is life-giving. When we assent to what God calls us to do, we receive life. Trustworthy decrees make the simple wise. Dave Parrish talked about this last week. He said, you don't have to be an intellect to be in or to interact with and engage with Scripture to find it as an authority. Okay, I want to say that again. You don't have to be an intellect to engage and interact with God's Word and find it to be authoritative. You don't have to know Hebrew or Greek. You don't have to have an IQ of 170 to understand how God's Word works. And sometimes, in fact, what I can tell you is, as someone who, who has been to Bible college and is, and is schooled like in studying Scripture and, and interpreting it and, and all of these methods... I can tell you that there are so many times that my intellect gets in the way of how I interact and engage with God's Word. I can tell you there are so many times that my intellect, my knowledge about the text interferes with the authority that it has over me. Because there are times, and this actually happened this morning, in fact, there are times where like, I can get lost down this little rabbit hole of, of, of phrases in the Bible and footnotes and Google. Like, I can just get lost in that stuff. And what, what God is saying here in this text is, 
You don't have to be a genius to study the Bible. Right commandments bring joy because God's justice is our true authority. Clear commands give insight for living. As I was thinking about that, God's authority and his commands are so easy to follow. Don't eat that fruit. Like, seriously. How complicated, how complex was that? God's laws are fair. He reveals himself through creation to all. And, and each one of us has, has enough God's image, like, still in us. Because in Genesis, it talks about humanity was made in God's image. Like, there's just enough latent God's image inside each and every person that we have a basic conscience. Just, like, just enough that we have a basic conscience. So when we see the monument, that points to something, right? Who is that something? What is that something? And don't send me an email this week to me asking me about the person on the deserted island who, who, has, no, who has no access to this. Because here's what I would challenge you in. Like that hypothetical is a wonderful conversation to have. But what about us? What about us? What about our interaction with this word? We have this now. We don't have to go hypothetical. I, I don't want to say that I'm not worried about the guy on the deserted island because that's not true because I want that person to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I believe as Christians, it is our role to go into all the nations, baptizing people, teaching them to follow everything Jesus has done. The guy on the deserted island, that's God's problem, not mine. For us as Christians, we have this word. We've been exposed to this word. We've been exposed to the reality of man fallen from this word. We've been exposed to God. We've been exposed to Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes what happens is when we start talking about Desert Island guy, or maybe it's a girl, when we start talking about Desert Island gal, I think sometimes we do that because we want to put up a shield because we don't want to talk about us. We don't want to talk about our own level of obedience or disobedience to what God is calling us to. And doesn't God's law sound pretty amazing if we just follow it? Like, don't we wish, oh man, I only wish Adam and Eve would have listened to one rule. One. One, they had one. You had one job, Adam and Eve. Don't eat that fruit. You had one job. One. And when we look out at the world and we see, we see all of this brokenness and fallenness, the reality of it, wouldn't we rather have all of that made right? Don't we want to see how Jesus is going to fix all of those things? And forget the world for a second. Look inside your own heart. Inside your own heart. Wouldn't you rather be healed? God's word is revealing to all of us the realities of God and man. And what I would, what I would tell you is if you listen closely enough, you'll hear it. 
what I would tell you, especially, I love creation. If you go outside and you observe some of the things that we have the capability to observe, because God's word is true, he's telling us what can be known about him is revealed in creation. Like there's a hum. And I think that hum is God speaking to us. But you won't hear it unless you interact with it, unless you engage with it. If you just walk outside and, yep, starry night, hop into your car and drive somewhere, if you don't interact with that, if you don't engage with it, if you don't wonder, if you don't give him the authority to speak to you through creation, you won't be transformed. Let's finish out Psalm 19, verses 12 to 14. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I'll be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. A few weeks ago, shortly, actually the week before Christmas, I went out to the garage and I hopped in my car and I opened the garage door and looked in my mirrors, right? Because that's what you do when you back out of the garage. You check all your mirrors. And I started to back out. And almost immediately, once the back of my car broke the plane of the garage door, I heard and felt like the sound of something dragging on the back of my car. So I again looked in my mirrors and did what anyone would do. I just kept backing up, right? Like I heard this noise, and I was just backing up. Backed up into the street and put my car in gear and started driving away. Got like 50 yards down the street. It wasn't a person, okay? So it was not a person, which is really good. Started driving about, get about 50 yards down the street, and I look in my rearview mirror, and there was a box there that someone, so like, I don't know if it, if it was UPS or FedEx or um, I have to be careful because our mailman goes to Westway Christian Church, but someone, uh, someone put this box right behind, right behind my car, right? And I just, I like, I just drove right over it. Every single one of us Every single one of us has blind spots in our lives. Every single one of us has blind spots in our lives. We have things that that not only that we don't see about ourselves. Have you ever talked with someone about a behavior of theirs and they argued with you up and down that it just wasn't true? How many people have you argued with that wasn't true about you? Our capacity for self-deception is unparalleled. When we get sick, though, eventually we go to the doctor, right? Because we need an outside objective authority to tell us what is wrong with us. We need someone to come to us and say, this is what's wrong. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus was hanging out with all of the sinful people, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. 
And here's, here's the reality. Every single one of us has spiritual blind spots. We all have things that we don't see. And that's why we call them blind spots. Because we don't know that they're there. How can I know all of the sins lurking in my heart? How can I know? How can I know? Well, I don't have any sins lurking in my heart. You are wrong. Because you do. You're blind to them. You're me backing out of my driveway and running over a box. And then you hear it, and you just keep driving. We're asking God, this, David here is asking God to cleanse us from these things. And David can't be cleansed from them unless he knows them. So I wonder for us as we, as we interact with and engage with Scripture and, and we, we find that it has authority over our lives, when it has authority over our lives, things are going to be revealed to us. That authority is going to tell us what's going on. It's like when we're driving down the, down the highway and we're violating the speed limit and we get pulled over, the authority is revealing to us what's wrong. And I, I know that all of us have, and I say this legitimately, we have all accidentally sped, right? We all, we've all been on a road where we were unsure of what the speed limit was. Like, like I, I know that that can be an excuse, right? Because let's also be real about that. We've all used that as an excuse. But there have been times where we have all accidentally sped. And the role of the authority in that situation is to tell us what we have done wrong. The role of God's word as an authority over us is to tell us what we've done wrong so we can stop. God's word is not just useful for the teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness of everyone else. God's word is useful for the teaching, correcting, rebuking, rebuking, and training in righteousness for me. And it is for you as well. When someone speaks to you from the position of spiritual authority, the question is, how do you respond? How do you respond to that? Do you hear and sense the dragging and just, you just keep backing up? Or do you stop? And what I would suggest to you is that you should stop. What I would suggest to you is that when you, when you feel the weight of that authority on you, the authority of the box in my situation, you should stop and you should probably interact and engage, right? What I should have done is I should have stopped, pulled forward into my garage, turned my car off, and went outside to look and see what was going on, right? Give that sound authority because that sound was telling me something. And we need one another for this. We can't help those who have the specks in their eyes around us if we don't deal with the log in our own eyes. Can't. We can't remove that plank. And for some of us, that plank is preventing us from seeing clearly. Our blind spot is so huge that you can't see clearly. That's what a blind spot is. Can't see clearly. What if that person, like, think back to the last time you were confronted by someone about something. 
what if they were right? What if, what if Scripture, when you read this, is speaking to you? When you hear this this morning, what if it's speaking to you? It's only when, when we are free of the sins that are lurking in our hearts from our hidden faults, free from the control that those sins have over us, it's only then that we can be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. And that's what, that's what transformation is. Transformation would have been me stopping and not continuing to run over that box. We want to be transformed. And transformed people have words that are pleasing to God. And transformed people have hearts that meditate on the things that please God. These are the things that people who are transformed desire to be pleasing to God. So if I want to be pleasing to God, I have to have a transformed heart. And we have, we have the Bible, God's Word. And one of, its, one of its functions is to tell us the truth about God. It's to tell us the truth about God. And He's the creator of all things, what it says. And because he's the creator of all things, he sets the rules, and his rules and his ways are always perfect without fault. Always. Always, 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 always. I can't say that enough. Always. His rules are always perfect. Another function of the Bible is it tells the truth about ourselves. And we were made in God's image. I said that there's, there's just, I keep pointing to my heart, I think because that's where transformation starts. It's what we talked about a few weeks ago. There's something that God has placed embedded deeply in each person that is his image. And there's, there's, just, there's just enough of it there. That's the truth about us is that we are made in God's image. So if, so if we're wrestling with like who we are, where we fit in, we don't feel valued, we don't feel useful, I have a truth that I want to tell you today. You're made in God's image. You. You are made in God's image. But God's word also tells us something else about us. That we, we are fallen creatures with a bent to sin. And those two things can exist in the exact same person. You can be both made in God's image with a bent to sin. And this is why we're capable of doing good things. This is why we're capable of love and sympathy and empathy. That's where those things come from. But at the same time, the, from the depths of our hearts, each one of us deals with incredible evil and wickedness. Those two things exist within us. And that's why we have to ask God to reveal to us the sin that lurks within us. Tell me how bad I am. Reveal my wickedness. Not so I'll wallow in it. Not so I'll spend the next six days getting drunk because I can't deal with how evil I am. But so that God can deal with my sin so that God can deal with your sin. 
And lastly, the Bible tells us what happens after we encounter Jesus. He works, he works in us through the, through the Holy Spirit that lives within us to create tension between those two natures. Right? To heat that up. So, made in God's image, sinful person. And God, Jesus living in us, the Holy Spirit living in us, is going to create that tension. So, so when you're wrestling with that tension, Paul talks about this so much in the book of Romans. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Why don't I do the things I do want to do? Love Paul's phrase, what a wretched man I am. That tension is just there. And Holy Spirit is creating that tension to get it out of us. The other night when we were discussing today's message, John asked me, um, what do you want the people of Westway to do differently on Monday because of this? Only a Bible college student would ask that question. But he's right. Here's what I told him. That's what I'm going to tell you. I would love to see us as individuals, then as a body of believers, view the Bible not just as a positional authority in our lives. You know what a positional authority is, right? Someone, someone who has like a title of authority, a positional authority. For some of us, the Bible is a positional authority. We think it is an outstanding idea to have Monuments built to Ten Commandments all over the United States. But we're not going to live it out. See, that's what a positional authority is. person who sees Scripture as positional authority loves the idea of the Bible being an authority for everyone else. The Bible ought to be our authority. That's a place of positional authority. And what I would like to see us do as individuals and as a body is move beyond the Bible as positional authority to a place of influence, to a place of actual authority. Because if we read this and we interact with it, and we don't give it any authority, and we're not transformed by it, you may as well be reading a Hardy Boys book, honestly. You may as well be reading a self-help book from the bookstore. Because that's all you're going to get without authority. And Jesus is the resolver of these things. This is how Jesus resolves for us this tension that we feel inside of us. If we, as individual Christians in the body of Christ, aren't informed and shaped and changed by what we claim is so important, then what we do is we reduce the Bible to, to an idol. We reduce the Bible to a good luck charm. And we talked about that before, right? The ark was at forgot where the ark was, Old Testament. Shiloh. The ark is at Shiloh. The Israelites go out to fight the Philistines. They lose the battle, and they get this great idea. Hey, let's go get the ark. I love the text. It will save us. Not God, not the Lord. It 
will save us. Go to Shiloh, bring the ark to the battlefield, and they lose to the Philistines who capture the ark. God is not going to be played by us viewing his word as a good luck charm. It must have authority over us. So what I would tell you is don't just read God's word. I would tell you to humbly submit to it because it is the power to save you. Let's pray. God, I pray not only for not only for us as individuals um, of whom I am one, who who is in desperate need to to interact with and engage with with your with your word, whether it is what's been revealed through creation, whether it is scripture, whether it is is, is Jesus, as we talked about in the book of Hebrews several months ago, the Holy Spirit, as we interact with who you are and what you have said to us, God, will you, will you call us to live under its authority? And then when we, as individuals, live under its authority, God, as a body, we want to live under its authority. We want what your word tells us about you and how life is to guide who we are as a church body. And that's not just in, in how we pick elders or it's not just in how we talk about church membership. It's not just our stand on end times, but it's our stand and it's an understanding of how we interact with people who don't know you. Help your word to have authority in our lives over every aspect of our lives as individuals and as a body of believers. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.